0: We are learning about the kingdom these days, and we've been looking at some amazing stories Jesus told about life in his kingdom. And today's story is found in the Gospel of Matthew. And as we've been doing, we're just going to read through this quickly. You can follow along with me. It says, The kingdom of heaven will be like this. Jesus is talking here. He says, Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No. There will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. While they came to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, I've heard this uh, parable explained a few ways, but when you get right down to it, this is a story about maybe two of the saddest words in the English language, the words, if only. We're going to talk about that this morning, about the if only factor in our lives. How many of you have ever had a dream, I understand this is pretty common, and you're still in school, like high school or college? You ever had a dream like that? You walk into class, you've been taking maybe all semester, and you realize that the day is the final. It's the big test, and you totally forgot about it. You haven't studied, and in this dream, you are hopelessly unprepared. I read that it's probably one of the most common dreams that people have. The other one involves uh, forgetting the combination to your locker and not being able to get it open. Uh, when I first started speaking and uh, being a pastor, I used to dream many, many years ago that I would be somewhere to speak and I would be called up to the platform and I would be totally unprepared to speak. It's very interesting about not being prepared in life. One of the great stories, one of the best I've ever heard about a student not being prepared for a test, some of you may have heard this, is a student's taking a class in ornithology. Ornithology is a study of birds. Very, very difficult class, a very difficult professor by reputation. So the student walks into the final, and he thinks that he studied for it. But as he looks around, there's no pencil and paper questions. There's no little blue books. All there are are 25 pictures of birds around the classroom. And it's not really even the birds. It's just the legs, the feet of the birds. The professor says... Guys, here's your final today. I want you to identify all 25 of these birds. And the kid just goes ballistic, crazy. He says, who in their right mind would give a test like this? I thought I was prepared, but I can't pass this final. No one could pass this final. The professor said, well, I'm sorry. I'm the professor. You're going to have to take the test. If you don't take the test, you're going to be flunked. The kid says, well, I don't care. I'm not going to take this stupid test. I'm not taking the final. And the guy says, okay, fine. He goes, you flunk." He says, give me your name so I can record your F. And the kid turns around, he pulls his pants up to his knees, and he says, you tell me my name, professor. (laughs) One of my favorites. I'm sure Robbie likes that story. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the deal. There are some things in life that we say, if only. If only I'd studied. If only I'd been prepared. Here's the deal. When the final exam comes... The question for today is, will we have regrets? See, living with no regrets is a fundamental truth about human life. And Jesus understood this better than anyone. So he wanted to kind of get at this. So he tells this story. And the story is of a wedding. It's of some bridesmaids. And in this story, they had one task. And the one task was to be ready for the groom. To have all in their lamps so they could light their way and be ready for the festivities when they were taking place. Now in Jesus' day, you have to understand, a wedding was much different than it is in our day. In fact, at the end of it, on the last day, uh, it would go on for several days, and on the last day, the groom would come to the bride's home. Generally, it was to escort the bride to the final ceremony, and then there would be this festive celebration afterwards. And what the event and when it was to happen, uh, before the groom got there, a friend of the groom, maybe we'd call him the best man would go ahead of them. And in this story, that's what's going on. A friend of the groom goes ahead, and he says, Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And then everybody would get excited. The groom was there, and they would head to the ceremony. Now, this is very different in our day. In our culture, in our day, uh, it's the bride who walks down the aisle. The attention in a wedding, if you haven't figured this out yet, is always on the bride. We use the same word in every part of our culture to describe a bride. She looks radiant, is what we will say. Nobody pays any attention to the groom at a wedding. They're like music and candles and rice that you throw, okay? They're just kind of props in the wedding. (laughs) Biblically, that's not true. Biblically, the way Jesus tells a story is the focus is on the groom. But the bridegroom in this story is delayed. Now, we don't know how long, but it's not forever. And the story here, the bridegroom, primarily signifies and bears um, resemblance or significance to that of Jesus. One day, our life will end. One day, Jesus either will return or our life will end. And the story here is to help people figure out what's going to happen when that takes place. Now, this story is very significant. It's not just a story about what's going to happen a few thousand years from now. It is significant right now. Jesus is saying that one day justice is going to roll like a river. The wrongs of this world are going to be righted. One day, the day is coming when we will see the truth about the whole world. All the confusion, all the questions, all the mess that is going on is going to get sorted out. And we're going to see the truth about my life and your life and about this world. What he's saying is, listen, this is a story that we're in. And this story does have an ending. It does have somewhere that it's going. And it has to do with the return of the groom. Now, in this story, there are people who have oil for their lamps. And there are some people who do not have. And when we talk about the business of the lamp and the oil, you have to understand that what we're really talking about is your life and my life, your character and my character. The bridesmaids in this story had one task, and that one task was to make sure that their lamp was ready. Have enough oil in their lamp to be a part of the final celebration. And the significance of this is to make sure that at least one part of it is to make sure That you live in such a way that when your life is viewed from God's perspective, one day, whenever that day is for us, you make sure that you've lived in a way that is wise. Make sure that you've lived a life that is wise. Make sure that you gave yourself to the right kinds of things in life and to the right kind of people. Make sure, Jesus says, that you're ready. Now here's the deal. The bridegroom is delayed, and we don't know for how long, but at midnight, the shout comes. The bride is ready. The bridegroom is returning. In the story, five of them are prepared and five of them are not. They have no oil, So they ask the other ones, they say, can we borrow some from you? Now, this is very important. Why don't the wise girls lend some oil to the foolish ones? I mean, it seems kind of like a stingy thing to do, right? To hold on to the oil. What's well, very interesting here because a guy by the name of William Barclius writes, There are some things in life that cannot be borrowed. I'm going to say that again. There are some things in life that cannot be borrowed. A relationship with God cannot be borrowed. Not from your parents or your children or your friends. Character cannot be borrowed not from your parents or your children or your friends see we're responsible for our character we're responsible for constructing our own life and one day you will stand before God and you can't say to somebody around you hey listen my 20s was a really rough period in my life okay can I borrow your 20s (laughs) the 80s was a really bad decade for me can can I borrow your 80s (laughs) The point of this is, and Jesus is trying to drive them home, or trying to drive the point home, is that we can't evade responsibility for our one and only life. Now listen, there are certain things that you cannot control, friend. You cannot control your genes. You cannot control who you were born to as far as parents. But there is that little spark in us, that little thing called will, where you can choose good or evil, love or hate. And every one of us in this room make choices about those kinds of things every day. And they are knitting together our soul in one way or another. That's what it means by this no borrowing factor. You can't borrow it from someone else. And then we come to a very deep truth in this story. It is possible, it is possible to wait until it is too late. The bridesmaids discover that they cannot borrow someone else's oil, so they're desperate, and they run out to get more oil. But what time is it now? It's now midnight. There's no 7-Eleven open at midnight, unless you have one today, of course. So they carry the oil, or they, they go to look for the oil so they can get more, and they discover the two other sad words in the English language, and that is, too late. It seemed like they had all the time in the world, that the The groom was never going to show up. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, your time is unspeakably precious. It is relentlessly shorter than you might think. So he talks about these two phrases. Now, this is interesting. I want to stop right here and make a point. The point of this story is not trying to figure out when the groom is going to return. All my life, I have heard so many Christian teachers and leaders And they acted like Jesus said, hey, try to figure out when the groom will return. People approach sometimes the Bible as if it could give us insider information so we can get the inside scoop when the end is going to be here. So we can like cram for it at the very end. People will ask me sometimes, they'll say, Phil, listen, I think you should do a series on end time prophecy. I think you should tell people when Jesus is going to return. And the best answer I can give them that is, that's probably never going to happen because I have no clue. And the best I can tell from Scripture is that it tells us not even to concentrate on that side. Jesus says in verse 13, Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. He says, pursue a transformed heart, not the day and time Jesus is going to come back. Devote yourself to the kingdom and his righteousness. He's saying someone is going to come back. That someone is going to be Jesus. And when it happens, be prepared. Now the question is, how did it happen? How did these five bridesmaids end up wasting this opportunity? And again, Jesus is so smart here. He's so wise. I want you to notice the adjective he uses. He talks about these five bridesmaids, and he doesn't use the word evil He doesn't say they're wicked bridesmaids. He doesn't say they're vile bridesmaids. He just says they're foolish. Why didn't you bring oil for your lamp? And every single one of them, I'll guarantee you, they'll say the same thing that your kids say to you and my kids have said to me when I ask them, why did you do something? Why did you do something silly? You know what kids will say? I don't know. It's amazing in this story. It is so profoundly true. There's this deep truth about human beings that we waste opportunities and we waste time in our life. And when we're asked, why? Why did you do that? Why? It wasn't because we were defiant against God. We didn't shake our fist at God and say, see, see, I don't care about you, God. I'm going to walk my own way in life. Most people don't do that. Most people just never decide, they just kind of drift. This is the great truth about human beings. We just kind of drift and we end up without oil in our lamp. People get to the end of their only life and we ask them, why didn't you devote yourself to loving people and loving God? Why didn't you lavish love on your kids? Why didn't you give away generous amounts of money? Why didn't you nurture your gifts and your talents that were given to you by God? Why didn't you take a few risks in life? And most people will just tell you, I don't know. It just didn't seem to be that important. It just seemed to be other things that were, you know, more pressing in my life. Let me tell you how important this teaching is to Jesus. If you have a minute, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 24. And I just challenge you to read Matthew 24 from verse 42 to Matthew 25 verse 30. Just just that little section. It's amazing. There are four parables that Jesus tells, four stories, and they all make the same point. And the story, of course, is the story of the thief that comes in the night suddenly, the story of the bridesmaids, which we're looking at, and then he tells two stories about servants whose master suddenly returns. And every one of them, really, you could take the same point away. Don't live your one and only life in a way where you will say, if only. So let's talk about this for a second. Let's talk about regret elimination. I want to walk you through just a few categories that you can kind of resonate with and maybe think about. Now, these aren't the only ones by any means. But I'd like you to think about these categories and maybe you can do some kind of regret evaluation. It is never too late, friends, to start. Today could be that day when you address one of these in your life. Here's the first one, and I want to talk first about the area parenting no regret parenting now whether your kids are grown whether your kids are young there's still an opportunity to be a parent there's a great story in scripture concerning a father named Eli you guys remember Eli he was a priest of God he was devoted to God's people spent a lot of time with a guy named Samuel helping Samuel recognize the voice of God but he also had a little downfall, and that downfall were two sons named Hophni and Phineas. Hophni and Phinehas were corrupt. They used the temple to steal offerings that were intended for God, and yet they lined their pockets with it. And they used their status kind of as religious leaders. Uh, because of that, they were able to exploit the people. They were able to seduce women, women who were supposed to serve in the temple. And Eli knew about it, and Eli abdicated his parental responsibility. In fact, 1 Samuel chapter 3, God says, I am going to punish the house of Eli for the iniquity that he knew about, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. In other words, Eli knew what was going on. He heard about it, and he essentially did nothing. He kind of griped about it a little bit, but he didn't do anything. I don't know why this is. I don't know maybe if he wanted his sons to like him. That's a big thing for parents, right? I don't know if he was preoccupied with church stuff. I don't know if maybe he was just blind to this whole issue. Maybe he was in denial. But it doesn't end very well for him. His two sons die in battle. And you have to kind of wonder here, what would have happened? What would have happened if Eli would have stood up and said, Wait a minute, guys, this can't go on anymore. There may be some issues today in your life as a parent in this room today where you see it happening in your kid's life. And you need to say that this is the day when that will not happen any longer. With God's help, I'm going to help my kids deal desperately with this situation. Maybe they're dealing with behavioral problems, attitudes, whatever it is. I love the story, the true story written by a psychologist. He says, in the absence of parental leadership... In other words, when parents kind of abdicate their responsibilities, some children become so obnoxious and defiant, especially in public places. Perhaps the best example was a ten-year-old boy named Robert that I dealt with, who was a patient of my friend Dr. William Sloniker. Dr. Sloniker, you said his pediatric staff dreaded the days when Robert was scheduled for a conflict or scheduled for an office visit because they knew it was going to be conflict. He would literally attack the clinic, grabbing instruments and files and phones. And his passive mom did more than just shake her head in bewilderment. During one exam, Dr. Sloniker observed cavities in Robert's teeth. He knew that the boy had to be referred to a dentist. But who could he give this great honor to? A referral like Robert could mean the end of a professional relationship. So Dr. Sloniker eventually decided to send him to an older dentist who reportedly worked really well with children. The confrontation that followed now stands as one of the classic moments in the, human, uh, the history of human conflict. Robert arrived at the dental office prepared for battle. Get in the chair, young man, said the doctor. No chance, replied the boy. Son, I told you to climb into that chair, and that's what I intend for you to do. Robert stared at his opponent for a moment, and then he replied, If you make me get in that chair, mister, I will take off all my clothes. The dentist calmly said, son, take them off. (laughs) The boy forthwith removed his shirt, undershirt, shoes, and socks, and he looked up at the dentist in defiance. All right, said the dentist, now get in the chair. You didn't hear me, sputtered Robert. I said, if you make me get in that chair, I will take off all my clothes. Take them off, replied the man. Robert proceeded to remove his pants, leaving him clad in only his underwear as he stood before the dentist. Now, son, get in the chair. Robert did as he was told, and he sat cooperatively through the entire procedure. When the cavities were drilled and filled, he was instructed to step down from the chair. He said, all right, give me my clothes, mister, so I can get ready. I'm sorry, replied the dentist. Tell your mom, we plan to keep your clothes for tonight. She can pick them up tomorrow here at the office. Can you comprehend the shock Robert's mother received when the door to the waiting room opened, and there stood her son and only his underoos? The room was filled with patients, but Robert and his mother walked past them into the hall, went down the elevator and into the parking lot, ignoring the snickers of onlookers. The next day, Robert's mother returned to retrieve his clothes, and she had a word for the dentist. However, it was not a word of protest. She said to him, You do not know how much I appreciate what happened in this office yesterday. For years, Robert has blackmailed me about his clothes. Whenever we're in a public place like a grocery store and he makes unreasonable demands of me, if I don't immediately buy him whatever he wants, he threatens to take off all his clothes. You're the first person who has called his bluff, Doc. And the impact on Robert has been incredible. Now that story happened many years ago. Today you'd probably be put in jail for that. (laughs) But we might need a few more dentists in this world. (laughs) See, here's the deal. If you put off confronting destructive behavior, it only gets harder. Some of you need to resolve right now in this moment. You realize, you know it's going off the track. And you can be blind, or you can ignore it, or you can just let it ride, or you can deal with it. Some of you, the regret, uh, parental regret, has nothing to do with that, but it has words uh, of affection that have never been spoken. Maybe it doesn't come naturally to you to speak words of affection, but some of your kids desperately need to hear that from you over and over and over. For some of you, the regret is time. You've spent so much time at work or commitments and you have no energy to create memories. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you did something spontaneous and unpredictable with your kids? When's the last time you kidnapped them and took them somewhere that they didn't expect? When's the last time that you woke them up After they went to bed and snuck them out and did something. Even against the other parents' wishes. (laughs) If you're a parent, will you say today as best I can, I do not want to live a life of regretful parenting. That's the first area. The second area has to do with risk taking. God calls us to a life that has a certain level of adventure and taking risks. You remember the story of the Israelites. They came to the Red Sea. God led them across. He led them through the desert and into the promised land. And when they get to the promised land, they send out some spies. Remember what the spies said? Numbers chapter 13. We're not able to go up against these people that inhabit it, for they are stronger than we. And the land we have gone through as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. The people we saw in it are of great size, and we are as grasshoppers to them. And the people moan and say, God, why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? Now think about this. God delivered you from Pharaoh. You experienced the plagues and survived. You went through the Passover, you survived. The parting of the Red Sea and you survived. You were led by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. And you received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And then you get to the promised land... And you never make it in. Wow. What kind of regret factor is that? It's like the story of a guy named Walt Jones. Walt said yes to adventure at every turn of his life. He was willing to risk it when most people his age were already in the grave. An interviewer talked with Walt toward the end of his life. Walt outlived his third wife to whom he was married to for 52 years. When she died, someone said to Walt, It must be sad losing such a long-time friend. And his response, well, yeah, it was, but then again, it may have been for the best. Why was that? I don't want to be negative or say anything to defame her wonderful character, Walt said, but she kind of petered out on me in the last decade. What do you mean, Walt? Well, she just never wanted to do nothing. She became a stick in the mud. Ten years ago, when I was 94... I told my wife, we ain't never seen nothing except the beautiful Pacific Northwest. She asked me, what you thinking about, Walt? And I told her I was thinking about buying a motor home. Maybe we could visit all 40 of the contiguous states. What do you think of that? She answered, I think you're out of your mind, Walt. Why you say that, lovey? We'd get mugged. We'd die. There wouldn't even be a funeral parlor around. Then she asked me, who's going to drive the thing, Walt? And I said, I am, Lammy. You'd kill us. Well, now that she's gone, what do you intend to do, Walt? What do I intend to do? I buried that old gal, and I bought me a motor home. <laughs> Walt hadn't had his motor home but a few months, and his wife had only been buried for six months when he was seen driving down the street with a rather attractive 62-year-old woman. Walt? Yep. Who's the woman sitting beside you? Who's your new lady friend? Yes, she is. Is what? My new lady friend. Lady friend, Walt, you've been married three times. You're 104 years old. This woman is four decades younger than you. Well, he responded, I quickly discovered that man cannot live in a motor home alone. Well, I can understand that, Walt. You probably miss having someone else to talk to, not having companionship for all these years. Without hesitation, Walt, yeah, I miss that too. Two, are you inferring that you have a romantic interest? I just might. (laughs) Walt, what is it? There comes a time in a person's life when you knock off that kind of stuff. Sex, Walt replied. Yes. Why? Well, Walt, because that kind of physical exertion could be hazardous to a person's health. Walt considered the question and said... But if she dies, she dies. <laughs> What's God calling you to risk these days? You know, maybe it's a vocational deal, maybe it's someplace you've never been before, maybe it's an evangelistic thing about sharing your faith. With a friend. Maybe it's some ministry opportunity where you need to serve. I'll just say that one of the things that people tell me constantly when they get to the end of their life, it's not just about the things that they did, it's about the things that they never took a risk to do. Third thing relationships. I believe we're called to have no regret no regret hearts for people in our lives. Saul was a great character in the Bible, but Saul had such a personal battle with people. With a guy named Samuel, who was a prophet, could have been a great mentor and friend. David could have been a protege that he developed. Instead, he hated David, and he was jealous of him. There was a great Scotch writer, a historian in the 19th century named Thomas Carlyle. And he married a woman... Uh, a secretary actually named Jane Welsh. He was devoted so much to his writing that he didn't spend very much time with Jane and mostly he wrote day after day. And at one point she became ill and then it turned into a terminal illness, but he was still too busy writing. He didn't have much time for her and eventually she passed away. And this is what the writer who I read this week writes about her. Thomas Carlyle. It said, when Jane died, they carried her to the cemetery for the service in a pouring rain. And following the funeral, Carlyle went back to his home. He went up to the stairs to Jane's room and sat down in the chair next to her bed. He sat there thinking about how little time he had spent with her and wishing that so much that he had a chance to do it differently. Noticing her diary on a table beside the bed, he picked it up and began to read it. And suddenly he was shocked. There on one page, she had written one line, one line. Yesterday, he spent an hour with me, and it was like heaven. I love him so much. Something dawned on him in that moment that he had never noticed. He had been too busy to notice that he meant so much to her. He thought about all the times he had gone on to work without thinking about her. He turned a page in the diary, and there he noticed some words that broke his heart. She wrote, I listened all day to hear his steps in the hall, but now it is too late. And I guess he won't come today. He read a little more, and then he threw the book down and ran out of the house. A few hours later, some friends found him at the grave, his face buried in the mud, his eyes red from weeping, tears rolling down his cheeks, and he kept repeating over and over and over and over, if only I had known. After her death, Carlisle made little attempt to write again. He lived another 15 years, pretty much a recluse. Again, the two saddest words by far in the English language are if only are too late. Listen, before you go to bed tonight, you need to express that to someone in your life. To say those words, whatever those words may be. Call them up and say, listen, I just want you to know I really love you. Do you know that? Maybe some of you need to take a risk and open up and share with someone Maybe today you're asking yourself the question, who do I need to forgive? Who do I need to move on and let go of? And that brings me to one last thing, and we'll end with this. One of the things that Jesus wanted his followers to have has to do with this last area of no regret, and it is the level of joy in our lives. You know, Americans really suffer from a disease, and we could really just call it the disease of taking it for granted. You ever take anything for granted? You know, every day in this state, the sun comes up. And we take it for granted in Florida. I mean, it really does come up, and we get to see it a lot around here. It's 85 degrees on average in Florida. Did you know that? But when it gets 55, or it gets 95, we complain, right? Or like now, when it's 150, we complain. (laughs) Did you know that every moment your heartbeat? we take it for granted because that's what a heart's supposed to do. Every day that air fills your lungs, we take it for granted because that's just what lungs are supposed to do. And grass grows and flowers bloom and birds sing and fish swim and seasons change and children grow and little cuts heal all by themselves. But we say, wow, it's with something. Let me get that promotion or a new house or a new car. Let me tell you about God. Do you realize God takes nothing for granted? God has seen everything there is to see. He knows everything there is to know. And every day when the sun comes up, I believe God gets excited like a little kid on his birthday. And if we as human beings are not filled with wonder and delight, it is not because we are too sophisticated or intelligent. It's because we're too broken. Let me tell you what I really believe, and I've come to believe this more in the last year of my life than ever before. August 28, 2016 is the greatest day of your life. And I'm not saying that because it's going to be easy or pain-free, because it probably won't. For a lot of people in this room, this will be a tough day. But the reason I say that is because this is the only day you've got. The reason so many of us have lost our joy in life is because we live in two categories. Living and waiting to live. A lot of our life, let's be honest, is waiting to live. We stand in line, we drive the kids someplace in a car, we try to get through another meeting, we try to get done with the tasks like cleaning the house, we worry about something bad that could happen, or we spend our time thinking about something awful or regretful that has already happened. But here's what I'm beginning to learn is that every one of those days are gone. They will never come back. And there are people who spend their whole lives waiting for what they think is going to happen or what has already happened. And if you live that way, friends, I promise you, you will lose most of the joy in your life. This day, this, this square on the calendar, that's God's gift to you. Jesus put it this way. I have told you this so my joy may be in you and that your joy may be overflowing. It's a picture of a glass, a cup of coffee, a glass of milk spilling over onto others. Joy is talked so much about in the Bible, 180 times in the Old Testament and 156 times in the New Testament. And it's this positive confidence of trusting God. And as we pray this morning... I'll say to you what the Apostle Paul said. He said, Always be full of joy. And Paul knew that joy is not the absence of problems, joy is the presence of God. Let's pray. Lord, one of the great hopes of our life is that we don't live like the foolish bridesmaids who are not ready. Have not thought through all the way to the end what that moment is going to look like. And Lord, we focus so much on the judgment side and on the, the cost side when we really should be focusing on the opportunity side. This is our one and only life. And some of us get a few years, and some of us get many, many years, like Walt. But in between that first day and that last day, you tell us over and over again, if you don't do anything, make sure you live a life of no regret. So today we search our hearts. We look down deep. And we ask you to show us the place where our oil has run out. Where it's empty. Maybe in parenting, maybe in relationships, maybe in risk-taking, or maybe in joy. Maybe it's some other area. Maybe it's in our financial world. Maybe it's in a career that we've just been uh, living with rather than really pursuing what's in our heart. However old we are, however many days we've lived, I pray we'd have a moment with you today when we realize that the best can still be ahead of us. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.